Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. I'm Cody Fields, the president of the Noseminster family of guitar effects. You can check us out at westminstereffects.com. You can join the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook to join in the discussion. You can also follow us and comment on Instagram, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. You know all this. Uh, you've probably heard me give this spiel before. Uh, Lutheran John is not with us today. He's doing work stuff, so uh, instead... In person with me. It's Bradley Cox again, uh, lead pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. So, what do we do in church this week, Bradley? Well, we uh, we gathered and we worshipped and... Uh, Ordinary means of grace. <laughs> oh, man. You gotta love it, man. It's just, you know, we shouldn't take that for granted ever. Oh, sure. When the church gathers, uh, which, you know, it seems like culturally that happens less and less, but... Um, nevertheless, we gathered and we worshiped and we lived in the first part of Romans 7, the first six verses, talked about what it means that we've died to the law, which mm-hmm. is, man, such a such a wonderful truth. Um, and uh, just a really good spirit of worship on Sunday, I felt like. I mean, yeah. very people were very responsive and engaged. Uh, I think we had a really good set. I think the yeah. songs yeah. flowed well. Um, but we were talking before we uh, started we hit the record button that um, we did not perform perfectly musically not at this all. week. <laughs> not at all. We played uh, we played Lion and the Lamb, and usually, like it, it's funny because I've heard uh, some people talk about that lead riff being difficult, and I've never had a problem with it. Mm. Um, maybe that's just because of how my mind works or something. I don't know, but between between the fact that we've played it in so many different keys male led female led uh between tiffany who is an alto mm-hmm. and mary your wife who is soprano mm-hmm. and we were playing it in her key of e i believe it was yeah, it was an e so between that and the fact that i got lost on the fretboard the first time through that riff i just I slaughtered it. <laughs> it was it was a bloody mess <laughs> and oh and it was Ugh, like I just had to laugh at it, and then we had a key change on a Tomlin oh, song. Man. So we that, did um, Tomlin's version of uh, "Crown Him with Many Crowns," and I personally love that. Yeah, like, I, yeah. So a lot of people are not Tomlin fans these days, but um, I, I like Tomlin's arrangements, but I don't like his guitar parts. That, like that, I'm, that, I'm, I can see that. I'm fairly convinced that. He just has a bunch of yes men who, mm-hmm. who do his lead guitar parts because yeah. they're always just they're so dumbed down and simplistic. Yeah. No offense to anybody who plays with Tomlin if you're listening. Uh, I'm sure you do a great job. However, it would be awesome if you could write some better guitar parts. True that. True that. <laughs> but the song is great. It's such a great arrangement of a of an amazing hymn and the the core the little chorus that Tomlin tags into the hymn. Majesty, Lord of all, let every yeah. uh, throne before him fall. That the the vocal on the word majesty, there's a half step move, right? And you know, in the in the first key that you're in, it's it's not terrible. Um, but when it when you change keys, you move up onto that half step move. So yep. you're going you're going up a whole step key, trying to hit a half step move yeah. into the and just vocally a and, little bit of a mind bender. I, I tell the church all the time, you know, um, and I may have said it on the podcast, I am not a great singer. 
I, I would not make it in front of the judges on American Idol because I'm neither bad enough or good enough. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they would just dismiss me in the in the early rounds. But um, and plus, I, I've been battling a cold and cough, so my voice was not even anywhere close to 100. percent Yeah, we we dropped we lowered every song that you did. We did we lowered every <laughs> song? So yeah, that's another thing that is so good about our team is that you guys can do that. I lowered every song I was leading by at least a half step to mm-hmm. try to give my voice a little bit of a reprieve. But Especially I, with preaching that day, too. I mean, Yeah, which is that's not something I do very often anymore, but I was trying to give our other male worship leader, Zeke, a break, and so I did that. And But the point is, I butchered the key change vocal. <laughs> butchered it. Now, full disclosure, I did turn around and ask Aaron right before that if you were going to hit it. I was like, is he going to hit it? Nope. Nope. Did not hit it. And then uh, and then Zach just completely whiffed on on a drum fill, and we got a, mm-hmm. we got a good chuckle out of that. And uh, But at the same time, the response was good. Uh, it, was. Just, it just goes to show that we aren't the driving force behind that. That's only the work of God. Exactly. So or that, I'm okay with know, that. Even that, you know, musical perfection is not the goal. I think we yes. we always strive for excellence. We you never want to diminish the importance of that. But it the win is not that we performed musically because we could perform every song perfectly and f- for a variety of reasons perhaps the congregation does not engage in worship. Sure. And, and I don't think we would come away from a Sunday like that saying that was a win. That was a really good Sunday. But yet, what the conversation you and I have had since Sunday is that we had a fantastic worship experience, even though mm-hmm. we did not perform well musically. Right. And that's not an excuse for being lackadaisical with our musical excellence, but it, it is a good reminder what the actual goal is and that the Lord can use imperfections uh, to lead his people in worship so oh yeah yeah so I guess on to our our main topic today you actually suggested this and I had listened to this podcast episode previously uh-huh. um, I, I guess two or three days beforehand and then you said hey i listened to this and you know we we love the worship online platform Mm -hmm. um they are a great resource they spare me so much trouble every week of Mm -hmm. having to figure out uh hey what's this guy playing right here what's his delay setting They'll, they'll tell you hey i'm doing a dotted eighth note tape delay sound and here's how many repeats i have awesome yeah uh but they had a a recent episode uh, of their podcast uh, regarding speaking in tongues, right. uh, and we're we're not writing them off, saying they're all heretics and going to hell. Uh, what we're doing is treating them as brothers and sisters. I believe they had a, a lady on there as well, mm-hmm. um, if I remember correctly. Uh, treating them as as siblings in the faith and saying, "Yeah, I think you missed it. Here's a." better way to think about this Mm -hmm. uh so you have a whole lot more experience in this realm uh, than i do so can you maybe give a a little bit of a summary and kind of what their stance was and then we can kind of break that down i guess well a little bit more context i think the podcast was titled which this caught my attention Mm -hmm. um 
when is it appropriate? It's something to the effect of when is it appropriate to speak in tongues on the platform? Sure. Uh, or is it ever appropriate to do that? Um, now, that question is going to hit different people in different ways. Some yeah. are going to hear th- th- that question and go, oh, I'm not even interested in listening to that. Because you, be, you might come from a cessationist tradition where you believe that that gift of the Spirit recorded in Scripture has ceased. So you're not even really, like that notion of could it ever be appropriate to speak in tongues on a platform. Right. So so I just looked it up. It's walking with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues on stage. Okay. So, so there you go. So there may be some of you that would not even listen to that podcast because it, from the get-go, it begins at a place that you don't identify with at all. I've made no secret of the fact on this podcast or even in my church that I come from a what you might call a classical Pentecostal tradition. I grew up in a classical Pentecostal mm-hmm. tradition, um, so I'm very familiar with you know church services where people are speaking in tongues, and and I've been in settings where that's been done what in a way that I would consider biblically appropriate, and I've been in settings where many settings where I don't think mm-hmm. that gift was exercised in a biblically appropriate way. I'm not a cessationist. Although I do not consider myself a classical Pentecostal anymore. Right. So it might be helpful to define some terms. Absolutely. So that we can then talk about the content of the podcast. Um, but I would echo what you said is we're not slamming worship online or the the individuals that spoke on this podcast. I just think it's an important issue, even related to what we opened with. You know, perfect musical performance is not going to get it done in and of itself. Right. I don't think anyone listening to our podcast who is a worship leader or on a worship team leading worship would say, I don't need or want the Holy Spirit's help Mm -hmm. to lead a church in worship. We need the Holy Spirit's help. We need to be, as Paul commanded, and we're going to look at the scripture, we need to be leaders who are filled with the Spirit. Right. I mean, even when in Acts, when the church was growing so rapidly and the apostles did not have the bandwidth to devote themselves to prayer and teaching and also make sure that the widows were fed. Yep. They said, select from among yourselves men full of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. to be deacons, to serve tables. So no one, I don't think, any, I think the common ground would be, yes, we want to be full of the Spirit. We want to be Spirit-led. We want to be Spirit-filled in our worship leading. But there's a problem with the direction this podcast went in trying to understand what that means. So, classical Pentecostal doctrine essentially says that subsequent to salvation, being born again, a believer may experience what's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit or filling, being filled with the Spirit um, with the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is a synopsis of classical Pentecostal sure. doctrine. Now, that comes from what I would say is a wrong application of the book of Acts, taking Acts as prescriptive rather than descriptive. In many cases in Acts, when it is mentioned that people were baptized or filled with the Spirit, you do see the gift of speaking in other tongues present. Mm -hmm. But there are also several times in Acts where you don't see that gift mentioned. In some cases, it might be implied. In others, you know, like... When Paul was converted, and uh, um, what's his name? It just left me. Um, 
The guy that was sent by Jesus to pray for him. Yeah, I, I'm blanking on the name, too. Was it, we're, we're just heathens right now. Um, Ananias. <laughs> when Ananias was sent to... to not, not the one who died. Not the one who died, <laughs> but the one that was sent to pray for Paul. He lays his hands on him, and the Bible says he was filled with the Spirit, and something like scales fell from his eyes. But yeah. he never says he spoke in tongues. Mm-hmm. Never said he prophesied. But classical Pentecostals take Acts as prescriptive and therefore conclude that every person, in order to be baptized or filled with the Spirit, must speak in tongues. So I don't ascribe to that doctrine anymore. Um, I grew up under it. But in the podcast, the, the two individuals that were talking were wrestling with what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? And the immediate correlation of being filled with the Spirit was made to the gift of speaking in tongues. And that's where I have a big, huge problem um, with, you know, that that one-to-one correlation that being filled with the Spirit must mean that I have to speak in tongues. And I think that's created a number of problems in the church. One being that um, Christians in even classical Pentecostal churches that don't pray in tongues feel less than. They feel, they, they feel like they're sort of maybe only half filled with the Spirit sure. because they don't speak in tongues. And then even outside Pentecostal charismatic traditions, you have churches and church leaders who really don't give much attention at all to what it means to be filled with the Spirit or be Spirit-led because of the association and the stigma with the gift of tongues. And I think that's just a very limiting way to talk about being filled with the Spirit. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the one of the big issues I had was they jumped right to 1 Corinthians 14, mm-hmm. which does talk about spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. It says, hey, don't... Uh, I, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, it goes in about... Uh, I'm trying to scroll through my phone really quickly, and I'm not accomplishing the goal of doing it quickly <laughs> but uh but doing things in order mm-hmm. and that kind of thing uh but they skip 1 Corinthians 12 which says um do all speak in tongues exactly well even at the beginning of it he's kind of setting it up as hey this is such a big deal that you can't even truthfully say Jesus is lord and mean it mm-hmm. except by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, and then that there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit says to one, he gives this one thing, and then to another, he gives this other thing, and uh, that they're all empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills, and it's all for the building up of the body. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, toward the end of the chapter, he says, uh, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts mm-hmm. of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? Mm-hmm. Well, the rhetorical answer is, well, no. No, they don't. <laughs> Obviously not. Right. Because if everybody was an apostle, we'd... Well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I told you before we started recording that... I don't want to, in this podcast, my intention is not to get into a a, um, a whole theological discussion about whether or not the gifts have ceased or, or anything of that nature. You know, I, I recognize that we probably have a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ 
listening to our podcast that are cessationists. Absolutely. And we have many others that would say, well, I'm not a cessationist, but I don't really know what, how to think about the Holy Spirit right. There's, filled with the Spirit. It's really important to note that there is a spectrum of this. There is a where, spectrum. Where most cessationists would say that there are certain sign gifts that have that have stopped. Right. Um, and they can make a good argument for it. Right. Um, and then there's, on the other side, uh, brothers and sisters will say, no, these things have continued. Here's how they rightfully apply. And they can make a really good argument for that. Right. Um, what I don't think there's a good argument for is, no, they're all done. Um, that just seems silly, um, biblically speaking. And I, I've only heard a couple of people ever talk that way in the first place. Right. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum is, no, you can do all of these things, every single person, right. regardless of anything. Right. Um, so what we're, we're talking about is the, not the fringe, is we're talking in the middle of classic continuationism and classic cessationism. Or, you know, even, let's say for the sake of this podcast. Yes. Let's see, let's just, uh, let's, let's read from Ephesians 5, because I think that we could all agree, regardless of where we are on that spectrum. Yep. We could all agree that this is what we want. We want this, okay? Paul says, Ephesians 5, verse 15, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, all right? I don't want to be a fool, and neither Mm -hmm. does anybody else listening to this podcast. We want to be wise. Making the best use of the time, we could agree on that, Yep. right? We want to maximize every opportunity that God has given us. We want to steward every gift, every talent, Every, every bit of influence that God's given us, we want to steward it well and make the most of it. Because the days are evil. We're also going to agree on that. Yep. Right? The days are evil. Our, to me, the way I take that, our culture is not going to push us naturally in the direction mm-hmm. of godliness and righteousness. We, we believe in this in. thing called total depravity. <laughs> there you go. I'm going to turn on my TV, and I'm not going to be taught or, or encouraged towards moderation and selflessness. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be encouraged towards greed and indulgence, right? So that's that's what the, what it means. I think that the days are evil. Verse 17. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We're going to agree there. Yep. Right. I want to know what God's will is for me. All right. And don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. This is not a prohibition against alcohol in in general. Paul's using it as an example that drunkenness is a waste of your life, mm-hmm. right? He's, he's trying to say to us, look, don't waste your life. Make the most of right. it. Drunkenness would be a waste of your mm-hmm. life. Being That's, inebriated and even to the point of blacking out. Exactly. Where you have no control of your faculties. That's right. Yeah. That's not the Lord's will for us. Right. So what is the Lord's will for us? Here it is. Last part of verse 18. But be filled with the Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's a command. It's an instruction. And that is what Paul is saying is the Lord's will for us. For us to not be foolish, for us to make the most of every opportunity in the evil days, right? Yep. We're going to have to avoid wasting our life in things like drunkenness. And we're going to have to seek to be filled with the Spirit, whatever that means. So let's, let's think about what that might mean. A lot of people stumble over that phrase, be filled with the Spirit. But we understand what it means to be filled, for something to be filled, right? If I have a coffee mug and it is 
filled with coffee. What do I understand? I understand that the coffee is occupying all the space yep. in that mug. So to be filled with the Spirit, one way we could understand that is that our my relationship with the Holy Spirit, my communion with the third person of the triune God, right, mm-hmm. is occupying a lot of space in my life, a lot of space in my heart, a lot of space in my mind. The Holy Spirit's not an it. He's not a wind. He's not a force. Uh, he's not a mist or a vapor in the air. He's not a yep. tingle down my spine or a chill bump on my arm. He's a person. And and before we move on, kudos to the worship online people. They actually did give a pretty good definition of the Trinity. Yes, of, that's of, true. They of did. differentiating, hey, it's one substance, three persons. There are a couple things I would have said differently, but they definitely didn't say anything heretical. Very good. It was it was like, hey. You actually get it because <laughs> a they lot really, of they did. You know, oh, you, you know, James White will say if you ask uh, the average American Christian to define the Trinity, then you end up with modalism just out of ignorance. Exactly. And we and we've talked about that That's before right. Uh, right. off air about how how important it is for people to really grasp the Trinity and who God is before you move on to everything else. But That's anyway, right. but anyway, but no, it, it's it, that's important and. Um, you know, here's an even better analogy. Um, my wife and I listened to this podcast, and we were talking about it in the car. Um, you know, I can be married to my wife and not be filled with her. Right, right. You know, I, I can I can have sort of a very functional um, relationship with her where we just take care of our responsibilities in the mm-hmm. house and the kids, but my life's not filled with her and communion with her, yeah. intimacy with her. Um, so... When it comes to the Holy Spirit, being filled with Him means that my relationship with Him, my communion with Him, my dependence on Him, my open ear to Him, my mm-hmm. my, my <laughs> desire to be sensitive to His promptings and urgings mm-hmm. is filling and consuming my life. Right. Okay? So, the question would then be, Paul, if my relationship with the Holy Spirit my dependence on him is filling and occupying space in my life, a lot of space in my life. What does that look like, Paul? Mm-hmm. What is that practically speaking going to look like? Is it tongues, Paul? Does that mean that if, if, if I'm in really close, intimate communion with the Spirit, that I'm going to speak in tongues? Is that what he says here? He doesn't. Now, Paul is not, in this passage, addressing the gift of tongues. Right. So, we can't conclude that he would be dismissive of the gift of tongues or that he would say when someone is filled with the spirit, they're never going to speak in tongues. That's not what Paul is saying here. Right. But look at what he does say. Don't be drunk with wine, verse 18, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. And look what it says. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God our Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Paul, what does being filled with the Spirit look like? He says singing, mm-hmm. making melody, giving thanks to the to, to yep. God our Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That sounds a lot like what we do in church on Sunday morning when we worship, yep. doesn't it? yep. And then even uh, the next verse, submitting to one another. So, so if you can, you can break it down to being worshipful, yeah. being thankful, and then being humble. Being humble, 
being in community, yeah, being accountable, you know, encouraging one another, admonishing yeah. one another, and all those kind of build on each other because you don't have accountability without humility and community. Yeah, the, I mean, they all intertwine. That's that's one of the great things about about Christianity in the first place is every doctrine touches every other doctrine somehow. Yeah. And it's, you know, like we were just talking about the Trinity, it touches salvation. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't have all three of all three persons of the Trinity working in concert, you don't have salvation. Right. If you don't have salvation worked out, you don't have or if you're not saved, you can't worship, right. <laughs> et cetera. You know, so it just the whole thing just builds on itself. One of the things that I tell our church all the time is that, you know, it should be our expectation that when the um, when the Holy Spirit is working, okay, um, in us, or when we're filled with Him, and 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 you know He's doing stuff in us and through us, the expectation should be that a lot of the things we do naturally are going to have a supernatural edge to them. Right. For example, in teaching, when I preach, my expectation is that the natural act of reading Scripture and talking about it, using my mouth and my vocal cords to talk about Scripture, that the Holy Spirit is going to put a supernatural edge on that, and He's going to do something powerful and transformative in the lives of all the church gathered. Mm -hmm. Right. So the same should be true of when we do something as natural as singing. Mm -hmm. Leading worship is that we should endeavor to be filled with the Spirit depend on the spirit um, that when we lead worship we lead the congregation in singing that that is exactly exactly one of the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do is he wants to work in a supernatural way as we sing as we lead in worship and so I think that for worship leaders people that are on worship teams playing instruments and singing um, this is this passage that we ought to really live in um, that we ought to meditate on, that we ought to we ought to go into a worship service, go into our private prayer times, and say, "Holy Spirit, fill me!" You know, fill me, and 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 don't we we shouldn't be encouraging people when they think about being filled with the Spirit to think about the gift of tongues only, but just that the Holy Spirit wants to occupy a lot of space in our life and use us, and one of the ways He wants to use us is in singing and leading worship. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I don't know if you want to go into this portion of the text. And if and if and John, if Bradley says no, just edit this out. Okay. <laughs> um, I believe I might be remembering incorrectly. I believe they said something about being slain in the spirit. And I believe I've seen this verse of don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. I believe I've seen that interpreted as the whole drunk in the spirit, mm-hmm. uh, basically falling out laughing yeah. or, or basically going into a trance like state. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you say to someone who is, who's advocating for that type of interpretation? Uh, that, that could probably fill an episode in and of itself, honestly. And I know, I know it's a sensitive subject, for a lot of people. Um, yeah. You know, what I would say is that this is not a, a text that would support such kinds of things in the church. Sure. Um, I mean, I've been in church settings where people have, quote unquote, been slain in the spirit. Um, and 
far be it from me to say that God would not put somebody on their face or their back sure with his power in order to accomplish some sort of work in them right like i even remember um uh, an illustration regarding jonathan edwards where he wrote about how he was like on his horse in the woods thinking deeply about the trinity and he was so overwhelmed with it that he wept for an hour mm. like just just because he was overwhelmed by that mm. um so we're not saying that God doesn't ever overwhelm people. I'm going to go to the bathroom. <laughs> John, edit that out. <laughs> I've got to go. <laughs> Sorry, John. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> so where were we? Um... We were talking about uh, Ephesians five. Talking about slain in the spirit. Yes, and uh, we were talking about how Scripture does not support it, um, or at least, at the very least, Ephesians five doesn't. No, um, and I think you know one, one of the real tragic things about the Pentecostal charismatic movement is that you 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 have a lot of things like I, I call it flourish that's mm-hmm. gotten tacked on. Sure. To, um, you know, what I think are could be biblical scriptural things. For example, you know, the gift of prophecy. Mm-hmm. All right. Again, I'm not a cessationist. I don't believe that that gift has ceased. Uh, we could talk about, you know, lots of things about how that gift can operate biblically and appropriately in the church. But in the Pentecostal charismatic world, you would ha- you would have things tacked on. To someone exercising that gift, you know, like they might shake when they prophesy mm-hmm. or they might, um, you know, add certain types of voice inflections or, um, you know, even pray in tongues as they're prophesying as though that's mm-hmm. somehow supporting that gift. And none of those kinds of extra things flourish are mentioned in Scripture. Right. You know, and it's interesting to me, you know, one of the texts in Acts that the, the, the Pentecostal world uses to support the notion that when people are baptized or filled with the Spirit, they speak in tongues is Acts 2, right? Uh, the day of Pentecost. And, you know, but the, you know, they focus in on the, the, those in the upper room speaking in tongues, but they, they fail to carry along with that, that the cloven tongues of fire divided mm-hmm. and rested upon each one of their heads, and there was a sound like the sound of a mighty rushing wind. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we don't use those things to say, okay, well, if you're going to be filled with the Spirit, you got to speak in tongues, and there's got to be a cloven tongue of fire on your head, and there's got to be a sound like that of a mighty rushing right. wind. Right. So it, it that kind of shows us that, you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't do things the same way all the time um but you got to be careful when when these when these other things get tacked on and attributed to the holy spirit like being slain in the spirit or there was a laughing movement that went on for a while and um, which one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control so i mean self-control that kind of goes out the window automatically does <laughs> yeah I, just, I don't think that's who the holy spirit is i don't see that in acts um i don't see that in in, in paul's letters do, do i see him he, he definitely says at the end of acts or first corinthians 14 don't forbid speaking in tongues right don't forbid it um eagerly desire the gifts is his instruction to the to a church where 
a lot of the decency and order has gone out the window. Mm -hmm. But regardless, you know, getting back to really the point of this podcast, if, 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 if our listeners take away anything, I would hope it would be that being filled with the Spirit is not something we need to associate with a particular gift only. Right. It is something that is really about a relationship, about mm-hmm. a communion with the third person of our triune God, and that according to Ephesians 5, at least one of the ways in which he wants to make himself known among those he's filled is with singing, with psalms, with gratitude and thanksgiving and mutual submission among one another. Yeah, and that's... So, maybe I'm backtracking too much, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, when, When certain groups say that effectively, if you've been saved, then you have to speak in tongues, is that confusing law and gospel? Or... Or am I even asking the right question there? Where it's saying you have to do these things as opposed to the gospel saying Jesus already did stuff for you in that act of obedience. I haven't really thought of it that way, if I'm honest. Yeah. I mean, I think that... Maybe um, that's just how my brain works and I'm asking the wrong question. I'm always open to that. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we would we would, we would would judge a Christian by their fruit. Not, right. Not, you know, not in a decisive way because I don't think that we're meant to necessarily look at someone and go um particularly in the church oh well they're not saved because of these things right right i I think we do i think have the liberty to call into question fruit though you know if if these kinds of things are not if if we see bitterness and anger in your wake and not joy and peace Mm -hmm. well then there's something wrong right right we we need to we need to be able to call that out Mm -hmm. um but i i would say that there is a definite confusion of law and gospel when when and I've heard people do this if you don't speak in tongues you're not saved yeah yeah now that is you you might as well join you know the Judaizers in Galatians oh absolutely yeah if you're not circumcised you're not saved you're, you're adding something to you're the, adding the work something of Jesus. to and yeah. Paul would say you know you you Christ is of no advantage to you if you do that mm-hmm. so in that respect yes. Gotcha. I would say that there is a confusion of law and gospel. Awesome. I wish John was here to give the Lutheran perspective since they have a classic cessationist <laughs> perspective. Yeah. That would have that would have been a lot of fun. Uh but what would what would you say uh uh, in response to, like, let's say somebody gives the classic cessationist argument, uh, typically, uh, like, we're not, this isn't about tongues itself, mm-hmm. um, because most of the cessationists will say, well, that's the gift of languages, which, room for interpretation, like, whatever. Um, what would you typically tell a cessationist um, in this instance if they're saying, well, I think this anyway, and that's irrelevant? Well, it, it, I- I'd have to hear a little bit more about where they're coming from because sure. cessationism has a continuum of its own. Right. Absolutely. Well. Absolutely. Um, but it, it, at a very base level, if someone were to say, well, I'm a cessationist, I don't believe that the gifts of the Spirit operate, um, you know, I would say, okay, well, which gifts right. and why? Right. Because I, don't, I haven't met a cessationist yet that would say the gift of teaching has ceased. Mm-hmm. The spiritual gift of teaching, right? Right. Um, I, I, I wouldn't say that um, 
I mean, I've, I've found even that there are cessationists who are open to the spiritual gift of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Right? So which gifts have ceased and why? Right. How are you categorizing the gifts? Because mm-hmm. the way I read all of Paul's gift lists in Scripture, mm-hmm. well, some are ones in Peter, but you, you, the way I read those, none of those lists are exhaustive. Right. And, and, and it's very difficult to categorize them. And I've heard people try to categorize the gifts mm-hmm. and, 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 and separate them out and put them into uh, neat little packages so that we can distinguish you know, certain levels of... It, in the Pentecostal world, it was done so you could distinguish certain levels of faith. Right. You know, like, here are the really spiritual people, which is exactly what was going on in Corinth that Paul's addressing. The Mm -hmm. really spiritual people who pray in tongues and prophesy. And then here's the less spirit-filled people who just have the gift of administration. Mm -hmm. All all they do is help set up tables really well. Exactly. Which, that's a gift that's often misunderstood anyway. But um, what I would say is which gifts and why? Because I don't think that, you know, I don't want to put words in John's mouth, but I don't think John would even say that the gift of teaching and the spiritual sure. work in the moment of preaching mm-hmm. and teaching has ceased. Um, so how do you distinguish that from gifts such as tongues or prophecy, yeah. healing, what have you? Yeah, and another quick point, and also, by the way, John, this is what you get when you're not here to defend yourself. Um, but mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. but um, you made the point, uh, I think Sunday when we were talking about you know, our massive amount of show prep of a three-minute conversation. Um, you made the point that even a lot of continuationist churches function like cessationists. They do. Where uh, it's, it's basically up to us to muster up whatever emotional response, whatever decisions, whatever uh, responses we need for volunteering or what have you. It's, mm-hmm. it's ultimately they're relying on programs and hype as opposed to the spirit moving in their people. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, um, it, I think even, um, what's the guy's name that took over for Piper at Bethlehem? Oh, I can't remember. Um, young guy, but I've listened to some of his preaching. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's fantastic. And he put out uh, an article uh, called Confessions of a Functional Cessationist. Mm. Uh, most people know Piper's not a cessationist. Uh, Piper did a Ask Pastor John on the gift of tongues where he mm-hmm. confessed to having asked the Lord for yeah. that gift, and he felt like the Lord said, no, I've gifted you to teach. Right. But he said, just like a child would go to a father and ask, you know, can I have play with that too? Can I have some of that too? Mm-hmm. He said he just regularly goes back to the Lord and asks for that gift, mm-hmm. um, which there's something really beautiful about that. But I, I do think a lot of churches who are open to the presence of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, being filled by the Spirit, do function like cessationists because there just isn't a whole lot of reliance upon the Spirit. Right. Um, and what does that even look like? That might even that might be another show topic is what does it look like to, in, in a worship setting, depend and rely on the Spirit? How do we even do that? Um, you know, so I, I do think some some people some churches and people they have the volume knob on the Holy Spirit turned down so low mm-hmm. they haven't turned him off but they haven't turned down so low that it's like you know you might as well be a cessationist um, right and I, I just I think there's a real hunger 
and and when we say this, we're talking the super <coughs> hard cessationists, not the ones yeah. who just say some of the gifts have ceased. Right, exactly. Right. Um, and and I, I I mean I'm like you. I mean we could go through all kinds of biblical um, texts and what have you to to talk about why I just think a cessationist argument doesn't hold water. Sure. Yeah. I mean even looking at things like. It wasn't just the apostles who operated in the gifts of the Spirit mm-hmm. in the Book of Acts. It was, right. it was it was some of the deacons, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and even what I mentioned earlier about they, they looked for men full of the Holy Spirit to serve tables. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there must have been some evidence in their life that hey, the Holy Spirit's occupying a lot of space in their life. Right. We can look at it and see the evidence of that. And so I'm sure that was not just character qualities, but I think they saw gifts operating in these people they selected to serve tables they Mm -hmm. saw the presence of the spirit working in and through them oh yeah so uh, i guess it's about that time i'm about to have to bail and go uh, baseball game yeah i got i got a jv game and a varsity game back to back uh we have a new scoreboard at Southside Christian, and it's awesome. huge. So we're dedicating that. Um, I'll send you a picture of it later because it's enormous and glorious. Um, so anyway, uh, recommended consumption this week. Uh, the Forgotten Trinity by James White. Um, I'm in the middle of it right now. And since we were talking about being filled with the Spirit, um, you know, a lot of people... You know, there's a lot of confusion regarding the doctrine of the Trinity, and even though James White is such a—I mean, the guy is a nerd—but mm. um, this everything he writes is really accessible. He mm. breaks things down that are very understandable for the average Christian. He will use and break down some Greek terms, but he breaks it down mm. so it's not—I don't have to have a degree <laughs> or even any Greek background to understand what he's talking mm. about. Um, so he, he gives the case for the Father being God, the Son being God, and the Spirit being God um, in this book, and it's it's really, really helpful. So Forgotten Trinity by James White. Good. Um, I'm going to recommend Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God by Gordon Fee. Paul, the Spirit, and the People of God by Gordon Fee. Um, Gordon Fee was, I, I, I'm not sure if he's died or not. Um, Apologies to Gordon Fee yeah, if you're still kicking. I, yeah, he, he. I know he's getting pretty old if he's still alive, but um, I know he, he, I think he came out of the Assembly of God. Mm-hmm. But he rejected classical Pentecostal theology, and he writes in such a balanced way about um, the role of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life in salvation mm-hmm. and post-salvation. Uh, he's not a separate and subsequent guy in terms of like there are these definite works of grace. You know, like the tradition I grew up in right. was you you go to the altar at church and you get saved, and then two weeks later you go to the altar at church and you get sanctified, mm-hmm. and then two three weeks later you go to the altar and you get baptized in the spirit and speak in tongues. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a whole lot of steps. It's a whole lot of steps. <laughs> but Gordon Fee rejects that kind of notion, but he does advocate for a life just like Paul commanded in Ephesians 5, being mm-hmm. filled with the spirit. He does address the controversial gifts of the spirit, but uh, he does such a good job of, of helping people practically understand the role of, of the Holy spirit in our lives. And, um, seeking to be filled with the Spirit. So, Paul the Spirit and the People of God by Gordon Fee. Very cool. Yeah, and, you know, just a reminder for everybody, we do put Amazon affiliate links 
for any book or even product that we recommend. And that way we get a little bit of a kickback and that helps us, you know, buy the microphone that we're using right now. I'd I'd like to expand it to each of us having our own microphone so we don't have to kind of hover around a stereo one. Oh, yeah. And uh, so that would just help us get there faster. Uh, You can also support the show at anchor.fm. You can actually donate and even pledge to regularly donate every month. And that would help us uh, grow even more. You know, I could even take out ads on Spotify or something like that. Um, So here's a promo. The first five people who pledge to donate $10 a month for a year on anchor.fm, I will send you a version to Piper Drive. Uh, You can also use the Anchor app and leave us a voicemail. And if you have a good enough question or comment or whatever, uh, we can put that on the show and interact with it. And then, hey, the show was partially produced by you, the listeners. So that's always fun. Um, You can also email us, westminstereffects at gmail.com to suggest material for the show. And also make sure to hit up westminstereffects.com. So... I don't remember the song title, but this is my friend Johnny Cottrell and his new album, which you can find on Noise Trade, Spotify, Facebook, and all that good stuff. This guy used to be in my in my hardcore band oh, really? uh, a few years ago, uh, but he just put out a solo thing and hit me up. He's like, hey, can you put this on your podcast? And I'm like, yeah, I got you. So here's Johnny Cottrell. Go listen to him. He's fantastic. Thanks for listening.
Everything new Fix my heart and my mind Upon your ways I will sing of your glory All my days I'm letting go Giving everything new Fix my heart and my mind Upon your ways I will sing of your glory All my days And I will I'm letting go, giving everything to you Fix my heart and my mind upon your ways I will sing of your glory